A new report from Transparency International New Zealand has detailed the extent of corruption and money laundering in the Pacific and what it thinks should be done about it. The report is called Corruption and Money Laundering in the Pacific, Intertwined Challenges and Interlinked Responses. One of the report's writers, law professor John Hopkins, says Pacific Island countries struggle to deal with corrupt practices, often because of a lack of capacity. He spoke with Don Wiseman, who began by asking how bad corruption is in the region. That's a difficult question to answer, actually. There's, there's a lack of statistics and a lack of research on Pacific corruption, so the details are difficult to, to talk about. But I think it's fair to say you may have seen from the, the Transparency International Pacific Barometer report recently that uh, corruption is a major problem. It, it varies. The nature varies on uh, state to state. Uh, but a colleague of mine who works uh, heavily in the field was always apt to say that when you're in a meeting, particularly in his, he was working in PNG, he said corruption is almost always in the room. What sort of corruption are we talking about? It's a good question. I think that there are different varieties of corruption. In this report, um, it should be clear, is, is very much looking at a particular aspect. It's looking at the in- interaction between corruption and uh, money laundering, uh, which is a particular nexus. But to return to your question, there's two issues that we, we looked at in the report, two types of states. You've got states where they are blessed with significant um, resources, but unfortunately they, there are clearly uh, corruption involved in the uh, exploitation of those resources and a lot of that corruption, th- those corrupt um, activities, the money then transfers overseas. So good examples of those, and again that's reflected in recent work by Transparency International, would be in Papua New Guinea and the Solomon Islands. In other cases, you've got examples where there appears to be others, certainly um, evidence that you're getting money laundering flows coming into the, uh, states from outside those states and then being uh, being laundered in the state and then um, going elsewhere. So there's two types of certainly this this corruption money laundering, uh, which is what we're talking about in the report. Uh, more widely, of course, as well as those uh, corruption activities going on, you've got um, issues around favours and um, uh, influence uh, rather than the monetary corruption, which of course is a is another another issue in itself. In terms of money laundering, wouldn't that be pretty difficult in a tiny economy? And a lot of them are in the Pacific. Yeah, so that's a very good point. We, like we've seen that there's there's two types of money laundering that goes on. Firstly, when you're talking about some states, these are not small uh, amounts of money. So Papua New Guinea, for example, um, and and other states such as uh, our territories, such as New Caledonia, which we didn't look at, but these have significant amount of flows within them because of their uh, resource um, rich. They, you know, these countries are resource rich, so there's a lot of money there. And the issue in those countries is corrupt activities. The money laundering occurs as a means. It's necessary to get the resources if they've been obtained corruptly and then cleaning it so they can be used by those who've undertaken those activities. So that's one aspect. We shouldn't underestimate the amount of money we're talking about there. In terms of money laundering, in term, which I think is what you mean in terms of uh, transnational flows, so-called. So money from outside the region and then being laundered within the region. There's clearly less of that going on, but there, of course, are countries which um, operate as financial centres. I mean, New Zealand is one as well. But, for example, the Cook Islands, Vanuatu and uh, Samoa all promote themselves with these sort of facilities. Vanuatu has a long history of doing this. To to give a positive spin in the past, Vanuatu has, of course, been um, significantly criticised for its activities in in the sector and its secrecy. And in fact, was was, still is, I believe, on the EU's um, uh, blacklist. I'll have to check that. It has cleaned up its act somewhat recently. But those countries um, certainly have the the potential to, to, to undertake 
uh, money laundering. And, and given that Fiji is also recognised, it also has a significant financial sector, and it's recognised by the EU as um, being a non-cooperative state, and it's on its list of non-cooperative states, then um, again, you can see that there's a recognised problem with some of these states, even though their economies, as you say, are pretty small. In this new report from Transparency International, there have been a number of recommendations made. A number of these states already have mechanisms in place Mm. to try and stop this, don't they? So what's going wrong there? So, yeah, I think that's that's the key point. So one of the things we wanted to look at was look at the formal regime, whether that needed to be strengthened or or changed to address some of these issues or or whether it's something else. So in all the states that we looked at, we looked at seven in total, which to give a sort of overview of different types of Pacific economy and Pacific states. And our general view is that, as you've just mentioned, most of them have pretty good legal frameworks in in the main. You know, there's some variance, uh, some could do with some improvement. But in the main, the legal tools uh, to deal with these issues are there. So that would suggest that that's not the issue. Uh, the one thing that we, I think, was recognized, that we recognised across a number of these states was a lack of capacity uh, in the prosecuting authorities, where, for example, the financial intelligence units, which exist in many of these states, didn't have the capacity to, to utilise or provide the reports and information to the police or the other prosecuting authorities to, to follow up. There wasn't evidence of a lot of um, prosecutions, for example. So capacity is something that clearly needs to be improved. Greater cooperation across the region to ensure that those who are undertaking particularly money laundering activities in one state can be traced to another state, again, often linked to corruption. So it's in the interest of big metropolitan states to support that. My own view in the past has been that the state, the bigger states, Australia and New Zealand, have tended to be more concerned with international money laundering than with domestic corruption turning into money laundering. But both of these issues should be something that these states um, uh, address. So they, th- those are some of the, the sort of over overall recommendations that we would like to see. How do you make it happen? There's an issue. We have to recognise that a number of these states have got capacity issues in terms of size and training and, and resources. So larger states or, or states with resources have to step up, I think, and assist them. But I think and we have to be careful. There's been a tendency in the past, I think, for the, the Western states to, to use a probably not the best term, but to the developed states to somewhat apply what they want in the, to the Pacific states. The Pacific states, I think, have to be the ones to, to deal with this. So they can be given support, but it has to come from them. I don't think it's a question of just training them in the ways of New Zealand or Australia or, uh, or elsewhere. There's got to, be, got to be domestic buy-in from the states to, so that, that these rules will apply in a domestic context. Because the Pacific cultures, of course, are fundamentally different from, for example, New Zealand, when I'm speaking from at the moment.